Thank you guys so much for listening to the Family Worship Center podcast. This podcast is our weekly messages that happen at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday here at Family Worship Center. Don't forget to check out our website at myfwc.tv and follow us on all social media. If one of these messages touched you in some way, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on our website or on any of our social media pages. Simply put, we exist to partner with God in changing the quality of families' lives. We hope you enjoy this message. First, I just want to pray for them, that they would be refreshed. Um, how many of you know they're a blessing to us here? Uh, they work in ministry. There are no time off. There's no hours of the day that you aren't on call doing something. And so it's really great to get away. I don't even know where they are. That's how much space we gave them to just enjoy themselves. Uh, I think they went somewhere with the beach, I would imagine. Uh, but I don't even know where that is. So let's just lift them up together this morning. God, we thank you so much for our pastors. Lord, we thank you for those that you've called to this community, to this state, Father God. We just thank you that as they spend time together and with you, Lord, that they would be refreshed, that they would come back with fresh vision, Father, with energy, Lord. We speak life to their bodies right now, that as they spend that downtime, that you would come in and you will rejuvenate those things that maybe are long overdue in them, Father, and that you would bring them energy and joy and peace in this time away. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, today, forgive my voice a little bit, my wife and I. Uh, shot a video at a wedding yesterday, and it was in this really pretty field, but golly, some stuff got in my throat, and I'm a little everywhere this morning, so if I pause to take some drinks, please forgive me. But uh, what I really wanted to focus on today is, we all know the red letters in our Bible are the things that Jesus said, right? And oftentimes, if you've been married for any length of time, you also know that sometimes it's the things that people don't say that also tell you a lot about what they're trying to say. Any husbands in here say amen to that? Sometimes it's the things that we don't say that help us kind of discover the things that we're trying to say. And that's what we're going to look at today. And our whole thought process is going to be on this statement here. God did, or Jesus did not say to go and do whatever makes you happy. God never said that. And here's a couple others that are, my, that are kind of my favorites here. Go, he never said go into all the world and preach whatever makes people happy. Right? He said go into all the world and preach the gospel he never said whoever wants to be my disciple must affirm themselves avoid the cross totally and follow their own heart right no it's bear the cross and follow me and my favorite one he never says ask and it'll be given to you because god is your celestial sugar daddy just ask and it's there right he never said these things and he never said just to go and do what makes you happy and the reason that i bring this up is because um, over the past probably eight, ten years of my life, God has really sparked a passion for discipleship in my life. Growing in a relationship with God, um, confronting those areas of my life that I would like to look more like Christ. Amen? Because I know that if we walk together with Him, if I spend time with God, if I'm vulnerable about those areas in my life, if I get my mind renewed through God's Word on these areas of my life, then over time, I will be transformed into the image of Him. That's exactly what Frank was talking about. If you're attached to the vine, we should bear fruit. And so my heart has really been opened up about discipleship. And oftentimes it's our wrong mindsets, sometimes really, really bad advice from people that are our friends or even those that love us that sometimes can get us off track 
from what God is asking of us in this life. And so, how many of you guys have ever had somebody say, just do what makes you happy? Anybody ever had anybody say that? And, and it's okay for us to want to be happy. But happiness and a relationship with God and us being transformed into his image, discipleship, they're not exclusive. They go hand in hand. True joy is found in following God and being connected to the vine. And that's what we're going to explore a little bit today. So maybe you've had somebody tell you that. They're like, just go do what makes you happy. God ha- or Jesus has never said that in Scripture. He never once looked at him and was like, man, you do you, boo-boo. Just do it. Just follow your heart. Just do you. He never says that. But what he does say is he invites us into a life and a journey with him. And so we're going to look at this today through the lens of a story that you guys have all probably heard. Uh, but I hope to be able to just kind of look at it through a different lens today. Um, I got seven pages of notes. I'm going to try to just do a few of those. Or unless you guys want to buckle up, you know, we can go through all of them. But a few things I do want to hit on today. Uh, So we're going to start out in John chapter 8 and verse 2. So we have this story here, and it says, Jesus appeared in the temple courts where all the people had gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. So we just launched small groups. This is kind of like a small group. Jesus is talking with people right in the square, okay? He's there with his disciples. And he says, the teacher of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman that was caught in adultery. Um, I want to pause there for a second. The story doesn't really expound on this, but the fact that she was caught in adultery makes me wonder what those Pharisees were doing to catch this woman in adultery, right? They had to have been like waiting in ambush for this woman. And you can see here, because this next scripture that we're going to read we're going to see that they're trying to use this woman as a tool to get to Jesus, right? They're trying to use this example, this woman caught in adultery to get to Jesus, to try to corner him and maybe get a leg up on Jesus. Like, we're going to put him in a situation where he's going to have to say something opposite of what he said or do something opposite of what he's done, all right? So that's their hope in this right now. And so he said, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commands us to stone such woman. I feel like I should probably pause there. Stoning is not, it's recreationally or medicinally. I feel like in this day and age, we should cover that. means with rocks, all right? So they're saying, hey, she committed adultery. Here we are. The law of Moses commands that we should stone such woman. Now what do you have to say? They were using this question, this shows their heart, as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. So here we are. They put Jesus in a really complicated position because the law of Moses did state that she was to be stoned for this sin. But Jesus had been preaching love. So in one sense it was, do I go against the law of Moses that was there and I lose the loving part of myself or do I show her love and undermine what the law of Moses says. So Jesus is in this complicated situation, and he knows that if he agreed, he uses his, loses his loving reputation, but if he lets it go, is he condoning adultery? Right? If he lets her go, does that mean he's saying that it's not that big of a deal? Well, I love this next scripture. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger, which opens up the age-old question, what was Jesus writing? Uh, A lot of people believe that Jesus was writing the sins of the men that were accusing this woman 
in Scripture. Can you put yourself in that story for a second? You feel like you're doing the right thing. You bring this woman before Jesus, and you're like, listen, she committed adultery. Like, do what you do, right? Law of Moses says we need to stone her. And Jesus kneels down and begins to write your name in the sand. And then beside your name, he begins to write your sins. In a row, right? A little bit alarming. The fact that he knows it, the fact that he's writing it in the sand, the fact that he took the entire situation off of this woman and put it back on those who had accused her. And so I imagine uh, this one guy, we'll call him Phil, Phil the Pharisee, all right, make it easy for us. So Phil the Pharisee sees Jesus kneeling down and begin to write his sins out. And verse 7 says, when he kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to any of them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. So he's saying, I know your heart. If any of you guys are without sin, in the translation of that word, without sin, actually translate to without even wanting to sin. How many of you guys have not sinned, but you've wanted to? Anybody honest besides me in here? Like, I didn't do it, but I really, really wanted to do it. But I chose not to do it. And Jesus is saying here, those of you who have not sinned and who have not even wanted to sin, cast the first stone. You be the first one to pick up the rock. I remember once we, um, I preached a message here, and I had to run over uh, to Walmart uh, afterwards. And I remember that uh, the message uh, had something to do with, like, lying, right, and, and, and telling, the, telling the truth, the whole thing. And I remember that I saw somebody, and maybe I'm not the only one that's done this, in Walmart, but I didn't really have time to talk to them, so I put the phone up to my ear and acted like I was on the phone while in Walmart to avoid that person after talking about lying on Sunday morning. Anybody else? Right? We all have sin in our life. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Those of you who have never sinned and never wanted to sin, you cast the first stone in verse 8. Again, he stood, stooped down and wrote on the ground again. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, probably because they had a longer list of sins for him to list out. They'd been around a little bit longer, right? First the older, <clears throat> until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Everybody leaves. This is the important part of the scripture right here. Everybody leaves. It's just Jesus and her. He straightens up the woman and he says, woman, where are they? Where are those who have condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. And he said, then neither do I condemn you. There's that grace that Frank was talking about. They did, that, where are they? They're gone. I don't either condemn you. But here is the other part, the key part of the scripture. Then Jesus declared, you do you, boo-boo. No, right? That's not what he said. Do whatever makes you happy. Just follow your heart. What does he say? Go now and leave your life of sin. Here's the grace I'm extending to you. Now go live differently. Guys, I'm going to repeat this again at the end, but I feel like I should bring it up now. The things that God speak about us in his word, they have the power to change us. But just because Jesus or God says them doesn't mean we're automatically changed into that. He calls us righteous. He calls us forgiven. He calls us love. But until we are realizing that, until we have a realization of that and we confess our sin, until we believe that about ourselves, does it have the power to change our lives? Why? Because just because God said it, if we don't have our mind renewed to it, 
We won't live accordingly. God calls us righteous, but do I have sin in my life? Yes, but what do I do? I wake up every day in his grace and his mercy, and I live out my life in relationship with him so that he will transform me into his image. That's what you're seeing right here. You are forgiven. I don't condemn you either, grace. But now go and sin no more. Leave the life of sin that you were in. So there's no you do you boo-boo, right? God did, Jesus did not say for us to go and do what makes us happy. He's saying that I will extend grace to you, but happiness is found in a life and a relationship with me. He tells her to be different, to be free, that she doesn't have to live for the lower things of this world anymore, but by the grace of God, she can live for the kingdom now. It's a new life, right? The Bible says it's a new creation. And I feel like if we, after we've been saved for a little while, we forget about this whole transformation of who we are. It's like this really big thing that happens up front, and then we forget about becoming Christ-like as we go. That's why discipleship is so important. So he's saying here, be different, live different, live free. You don't have to be held by the lower things of this world. You don't have to be held hostage by your sin. I invite you to live differently. So why do we give in to the temptation of sin? Right? We know we all sin. We would have all walked away. Phil the Pharisee would have been there. I would have been right behind Phil the Pharisee. Okay? Why do we give in to sin? The Bible says that it's because it's a fleeting pleasure. How many of you guys know sin is fun? If it wasn't fun, you weren't doing it right. right? It's fun for a moment, but it has it ultimately uh, the, uh, the separation between us and God that sin creates will devastate our lives. But the reason that we have temptation to sin is because it's fun. But I love this statement right here. Sin promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God and eventual pain in our lives. Promises satisfaction, but eventually we have to disobey God to do it. We're separated from him, and it brings eventual pain to our lives. So I want to get into the mind of this woman. So maybe this woman that's caught in adultery here Maybe she just woke up and decided that she was going to ruin lives that day, right? Totally possible. But statistically, that's probably not how it went. If you know anything about the statistics of, of cheating or divorce, um, it probably happened like this. In a relationship that maybe she wasn't feeling fulfilled in. Maybe there was some verbal abuse and she meets this guy at work, all right? Maybe she's just living life like normal, she meets this guy at work. He's super nice to her. Every time she posts a photo on Instagram, like, he likes it. He just comments fire underneath it. Like, fire, you look great. You know, maybe she's getting that affirmation from there. And maybe one night they're at the office together and they both have to work late. And maybe uh, when they work late, he starts to open up about his marriage and he realizes, she realizes that his marriage isn't really that great either. And so now they're in this situation. She's kind of getting fulfillment from this relationship. And then he walks by to go get something off the copier, and he, like, brushes her arm, right? And she's like, man, I know that happened on purpose. Like, she's got the little the tinglies, right? She's like, man, I know that was on purpose. You know, and the next thing you know, she's in the most humiliating situation of her life, being drugged out of a house, half-clothed, being condemned before a group of people, being asked for Jesus to stone her, for her sin. And maybe somewhere along the way, she like opened up to a friend about that situation. And the friend said, girl, you just follow your heart. 
if that's what makes how many of you guys know what makes you happy changes a lot it changes a lot it changes frequently we cannot trust the, the, the pleasures of this world. We cannot trust those things that tug on our emotions and our heart. And so maybe she asked somebody, her friend, and her friend was like, you just do whatever makes you happy. And then the next thing you know, she's in this situation. The reason I bring that up is we are in a world of relativism. What's true for you might not be true to me. There's no absolute truth people believe. There's no black and white. There's no word of God. It's like, if that makes you happy, that do it because it might my, my truth might not be truth you guys ever heard that well okay i heard that statistic but that's not my truth and so what happens the danger of relativism is we get into this thing where we follow our emotions and we chase happiness and we don't come back to the black and white word of god that will tell us and lead us and guide us what to do in every situation and so we open up this can of just this fleeting Follow your heart, do what makes you happy, and we skip over the truth of God's word where true happiness is found. I wrote down this. Without a belief in absolute truth, truth is defined by whatever makes me happy. If there's no absolute truth, then I can just make decisions on a whim. Right? I, I woke up today, maybe you ate bad Mexican food the night before, and that helps influence your decision. Right? It's just this fleeting thing, whatever comes up. It says, when the bottom line of my life is my happiness, happiness becomes the standard by which I judge my actions. I know it's wrong, but it feels so right, so I do it. So what is the tension here? And I feel like the tension is between happiness and holiness. We feel like those two things are mutually exclusive from each other. That we can't have one without the other. I remember growing up in my teenage years and not thinking Christianity at times was that cool. Thinking that I was probably going to have to like have a, a braided belt and some khaki shorts and listen to Amy Grant tapes my whole life. Anybody remember Amy Grant in here? Rebecca St. James? Any of those early, late 90s music, right? It's like, is that going to be my whole life? I remember being in those situations, but they don't have to be mutually exclusive. It's not that we choose holiness and we're destined for this miserable existence. True joy is found in the holy, loving Father and in a relationship with Him. They don't have to be at odds with one. I love this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. It says, if then, <clears throat> though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him we serve a loving father and our relationship with god should be an exciting journey faith in the holy spirit and his leading to you it's like the best high you can get right? we talked about the lady in adultery right and wanted to stone this is like getting stoned there's something about finding the place that god has you and trusting and relying on his spirit that's an exciting adventure it might keep you in your hometown you might not ever move you might be in the same place forever but it doesn't mean that it lacks excitement because when we bear fruit and we begin to see our lives change and we begin to affect and serve those around us that's where true happiness is found so what happens we look for our happiness and fulfillment in the wrong places i love this uh max Licato. have you guys ever heard read any of his books he puts it like this he poses the question, would a fish 
ever be happy on the beach? I want you to think about that for a second. Would a fish ever be happy on the beach? So you take a fish, born in water, and say you just flop him up on the beach, right? He's just doing a little, little flop, all right? So say you take the pleasures of earth, this world, and you start showering that fish in those pleasures. So money, you're just like raining Benjamins down on this flopping fish. Water's here. You throw them up there. You're just giving money to this fish. Does that make that fish happy? So then you throw a party for that fish. I mean, you get the best DJ around, or you're playing 70s music, right, that we all talked about this morning. Whatever it is, you throw a party for this fish. I mean, the best. All of the who's who will be there. Does that make that fish happy? You, you create an Instagram for this fish. I've seen crazier things. People got Instagram for all their pets, okay? You make an Instagram for this fish, and you post a picture of it, right? Hashtag fish bod, all right? And people start liking it. They're commenting underneath it. Fire, man, that's the best-looking scales I've ever seen in my life. Do those things make that fish happy? No, because he was never designed to be out of water. We are never designed to only be living in this world. This is a moment that we're here. We're never designed to get entangled in all of this stuff in life and to forget our eternal destiny and the fact that we're spiritual beings and the fact that we're going to spend eternity with God forever. We're like that fish. We get out and we chase after all these things and we're flopping around in this life forgetting that we weren't even designed to rest and plant our roots in earth anyway. I love this scripture in 2 Timothy. It says, no soldier in active service gets entangled in the ordinary business affairs of a civilian's life. He avoids them so that we may, he may honor and please the one who enlisted him to serve. That's me and you that they're talking about. We're children of God. We're not supposed to be rooted in the fleeting things of this world. But we're supposed to find ourselves in Christ and in his word. You weren't made for earth. We are holy and set apart. And so here's the thing. With Christianity, we need to lower our expectations of this world instead of heaven. Oftentimes we don't look to scripture and we don't turn to God in areas of our life. We turn to other people or things of this world. We're supposed to lower our expectations. God, this is all going to fade away. But Christ lives forever. We're going to live forever with him. It's the spiritual versus the natural. It's the things that are going to last are the things of the spirit. So no new car, new boat, new vacation. Nothing can fill the void of that relationship with God where true joy and happiness is found. And I wrote this down. Holiness is the pathway to true happiness and joy. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, You will make known to me the path of life. Right, he's writing this about God. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. That's the answer. Where's joy found? In a life with Christ. In your presence is the fullness of joy. And in your right hand are pleasures forever. Being with God, being in communion with God, that is where we can live. That's where we can be. We can flee from sin. We can be transformed into his image. And we can experience the fullness of joy. 
it's there. So God's grace is the power for us to change, like Frank was saying. There's grace, but then we got to get busy making fruit. Got to get busy spending time with God, becoming more like Christ. The best analogy I ever heard was when Jen Tringale was here, and she said, each one of us are like the little pink spoon at Baskin-Robbins. Each one of us are a taste of God's goodness. I want ice cream now. All of us, it's, we are a taste of God's goodness to the world around us. How do we do that if we don't transform into God's likeness? How do we do that if we don't allow God and his spirit to buff off the rough edges of our life? Anybody else got rough edges besides me in here? We can't. True joy, true fulfillment is found in a relationship with him. So I'll end with this. Every temptation is an invitation to rely on Christ. And so I feel like in the church sometimes the word repentance is a bad is like a bad word. We don't say it very often. It kind of has like this grimy connotation to it, right? Like I got to repent. Like that's not fun. Guys, I believe that repentance is a gift from God. The opportunity for us to repent to him and to turn from our ways and to embrace him and his ways in our life is a gift. What's it do? It gets us back on track with him. Right? We veer off track at times. And repentance brings us back in line with what God has for our life. And I came across a pastor that had taken all of the uh, words that start with R-E, so like repentance in scripture, and put them into a sentence that like brought a lot of joy to me. I thought you guys would uh, enjoy it too. It goes like this. If you rebuke the enemy and return to God by repenting of your sin and receiving Christ, your spirit will be reborn. Your mind will be renewed, your life rebuilt. You will be reconciled by Christ's redeeming work and reap the rewards of relationship, causing revival to break free. Repentance is a gift. And it's something that, that no matter where, if we're young, if we're old, we're on this journey together, we're on this journey with Christ, and there's always going to be opportunity to repent because we fall short. It's a gift that should be embraced. So let's not be afraid of repentance. Let's not just chase the things that make us happy. Let's consult God in every area of our life. Don't do you, boo-boo. Find what scripture says about those areas of your life that you're having issues in, that you want to see changed and different. Get God's perspective on it. Because like I said earlier, the things that God speaks over us, just because he says it doesn't mean it's going to change our lives. But it's when we accept it, when we're mindful of it, when we renew our mind with what he says about us, when we begin to put action to the things that are written in scripture and the thing that God says about us, that's when fruit begins to form in our life. And I don't know about you, but I want to be fruitful in my life because the more fruitful that I am, it means others that are hungry for that fruit will be able to find God's goodness in my life, in the way that I live, in the conversations that I have. And I'm not perfect. I'm like any of you. I have my issues, have the stuff that I need to continue to be renewed. My wife and I fought this morning on the way to church right before I got up to preach, all right? It is what it is. But God's grace is enough. 
God's grace is more than enough. And he will lovingly show us how to live life his way if we would just submit it to him. So I want to encourage you today. Jesus said it, didn't say it. I'm not saying it. Don't, do, go, don't go do what makes you happy. Find out what God says about the situation. And just walk with him. You know, if you struggle with discipleship, I'd encourage you to sign up for one of our small groups. That's the, what they're designed to do. They're designed for two things. Build community and to grow closer to God. And you need good people in your life to do that. Pastor talked about it a couple weeks ago. Actually hit on it last week on Mother's Day. We need those good people in our life to help us get there. And oftentimes to help us see the rough edges of our life that we need to submit to God. Anybody else blind to their own stuff sometimes? Have those people in our life. Work through discipleship together. So I encourage you, if you've not signed up for one, do it. But it's all about God's grace, but also bearing fruit, like Frank said. So let me pray for you today. God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness, Lord. We know that we're not designed to do this thing alone, Father, but you promise, Lord, that your joy and your happiness, it is joy, it is happiness to find fulfillment in you, Father. It's one that lasts, it doesn't fade. Uh, the material things, they fade. The, the, the parties, the relationship, whatever it is, Father, all that stuff fades away. But your love, your presence, your joy is what remains in our life. For I pray that we would get our eyes off the temporary things and we would move them over to the things that are going to last forever. That we wouldn't follow the fleeting things that lead us nowhere or into more heartbreak or into more situations that we can't seem to get out of. I pray that we would just release those things and we would hold on to the anchor the one who does not move, the one who does not change, the one whose word will live on forever. You're in the same place that you've always been. We just look in other places. But we know we can come back to you because that's where you are, right where you've been the whole time, loving us, desiring to change and to transform our lives. I just pray over every person in here, Lord, that they would experience your transforming power this year. Lord, that it's not going to be, I'm too old or I'm too young or, I've been in this situation too long. No, God, I pray we would attach ourselves to your word and that we would see true transformation this year in our lives and that we would be that little pink spoon. We would be that, that taste of your goodness to those around us who are hungry and are dying because they don't have the privilege to know about your goodness. That they would see that in us as we're transformed into your image. In Jesus' name, amen.